tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Linda Gage. Linda grew up in New Jersey and started her formal animal career in 2005, responding to the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. She started with best friends in 2006, overseeing the cat areas during emergency disaster responses, and then lived in Utah at the sanctuary for two years as the manager of the learning experience, overseeing the visitor-volunteer experience at the sanctuary. In 2010, she moved to Vermont and began working as a No More Homeless Pets Network Specialist, covering the Northeast, Maine, to Delaware, working with shelters and rescue groups by providing them with support, resources to save more lives. On the board of directors of the Vermont Companion Animal Neutering, a low-cost spay neuter clinic, she's vice chair of the Chittenden County Animal Response Team. She's also a member of Community Emergency Response Team in Vermont. The heart of her work and passion is to end the killing of healthy, adoptable pets in the country's shelters. She lives in Hinesburg, Vermont, with her husband, six cats, and three goats. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stacy. It's great to be here. So how did you get started uh, with in animal welfare as well as with uh, community cats? Uh, animal welfare was basically what you mentioned earlier, the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. But I think I always had that instilled in me. It was something that I think I was bored with. Um, My parents instilled in us early on in life a respect and responsibility for the environment and all living things. So when I looked back on my childhood, I saw that all my school projects focused on animals and nature, helping animals basically in need. So when Hurricane Katrina rolled around, I saw the need for both people and pets but I think the one pole was really watching that little boy on the bus, getting on the bus, and the dog could not come with him. And I just got in my car and drove down to Lamar Dixon, signed up for rescue, and started going into the city rescuing animals. And that's how I met Best Friends Animal Society. Worked with them for a couple months down there. And when I came back home, I started an informal TNR rescue group in my own community. I lived in one of the very rural parts of New Jersey that was mostly open farmland. So there were lots of barn cats and we just started with our neighbors. And one great story was that our neighbor had 30 to 40 cats and he fed them all the time, but they were just reproducing and We talked to him and he said it would be great to do TNR. He understood what that meant and he'd still be the caretaker. So that was about, boy, that must have been back in 2006 and 7. We must have spay neutered close to 40 or 50 cats. And the last three years, there have been no additional cats on that property. And I think now he's down to only about six or seven cats left. So it really does work. Yeah, that's great. It's another testimonial for a very successful spay-neuter project for, for 
feral cat colony. Absolutely. So you started working with best friends and what's your role with them? So my role is as a No More Homeless Pets Network Specialist, which is a mouthful. <laughs> what that what that basically means is um, I offer, I'm able to offer support and resources to groups and shelters to help them save more lives. And a lot of the areas that we focus on now are the community cats. Best Friends has a national program, our community cat initiative, that is in select cities throughout the country. They work with municipal shelters in that area, connect the community to the shelter and with other TNR groups in that area, look for the large populations of unaltered cats and set up a plan to bring them in, get them fixed and re-release them. Um, that's been going extremely well. In my own work, I guess in my region, I work with a lot of small groups. Two or three people pull together because they recognize that there is a need in their community, especially living here in Vermont and the Northeast. There's a lot of open land and open space. And I can offer people resources on how to get started. So we have a great tool, great handbook that people can use on how to go about starting a return to field program. Um, what does that mean? Providing grants and financial aid and brainstorming. I think a lot of it, I like to spend connecting with people one-on-one, -on -one, talking about the situation, getting the information, sharing ideas, and also connecting them with other groups within the region who are doing the same thing or who have done the same thing. I mean, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel if somebody else is already doing it. And with the community cats, there's other great national organizations, Alley Cat Allies, um, Neighborhood Cats is in New York City. And there's just a lot of groups out there who are doing it really well. And the focus really is on that. These animals deserve a life outside um, that's where they live. That's where they were born. That's where they're used to being. And we just want to be able to help them stay there in a healthy and safe way. So in looking at your region, mm -hmm. where are the regions where you think there's the greatest need to uh, help community cats? And then what areas of the region have really embraced community cat spay neuter programs wholeheartedly? So in this region, it's a very interesting question. So Obviously, New York City is one of our regions, and we are opening up a, I mean, one of our highly populated areas, mm -hmm. as is Boston and Philadelphia. There is a cat initiative program going on in Philadelphia. It's been going on for two years now. It's got one, one more year left in the grant process. We gave them a three-year grant, and they've been working through that and with us so that after three years, then they can become self-sustaining and run that program in the city themselves. And it has just been a phenomenal success down there. ACCT Philadelphia, their intake of cats has dropped dramatically and the live release rate has gone up. Some key areas that I know we're re I'm really focusing on with a lot of the network partners is Delaware. Um, and southern New Jersey. And then, believe it or not, even though the Northeast, quote unquote, doesn't have as many 
animals or, or an overpopulation problem, I should say, there are still a large number of rural communities, farming communities that need assistance with their community cats. So I'd say mostly the southern half of the region, because up here in the northeast, as you know, too, since you live here, spay neuter got started 25 years ago, at least with with dogs and um, cats is right behind it and making great headway. And actually, I think we've gone over the tip of the iceberg, so to speak, and are coming down the backside. So it really does work. And, and, you know, we're making a big impact. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats podcast website under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. So you've mentioned grants. What are the other benefits for groups to be part of the network? So I think some of the really key benefits and opportunities are to work one-on-one with me or your region or your specialist for your area. What I really like about one of the things I do is I get a bird's eye view of the whole region. So I'm in contact with a lot of different people on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis and see things that are going on and communicating with people and being engaged with a group in one area. I may know of another group who's either doing it or has done it that would be a great way to connect them. So, and I have a great res- resources to pull off of. And if I don't have an answer, I will certainly try and send somebody in the right direction to find that answer. But we also have two grant cycles a year, up to $10,000. And we have adoption promos for national adoption promos throughout the year, which we do ask for like a reduced fee on some of the animals, but it doesn't have to be like all the animals in your shelter. So Mm -hmm. for instance, if you're doing a black animal program, if you just wanted to focus on senior black animals, Mm -hmm. you could do that Mm -hmm. so that the other ones you could still get your full price for. And we have great marketing toolkits that people can use throughout the course of the year. So let's say they have a lot of senior cats in their shelters, or they have a lot of special needs animals in their shelters, and they need a little boost. They can just use one of these marketing toolkits, download all the information. There's banners, flyers, brochures, cage cards, you name it, it's there. And they can just put their logo on it and bang, they've got an instant, you know, weekend adoption promo to use. We also have had some of the clear the shelter type promos throughout the year. Last year, Zappos partnered with us Mm, and over the Thanksgiving four-day weekend and moved an incredible number of animals throughout the year. So we do a lot of test pilots of things too. And basically we're just, I'm here to do whatever it is that's going to help people save more lives. So we talk about it, mentoring a lot of, especially with the community cats. What I found is a lot of people don't immediately connect with their local government. Mm -hmm. 
So I try and talk to them about, you know, go in, find out what the ordinance says, and then reach out to the town clerk, reach out to your your local animal person, find out why was the ordinance created and when was it created and is it still valid? And a lot of times you find that those laws were put into place 40 or 50 years ago, and it's just fallen off the radar. Nobody looks at it. And if a town can really, if you approach a town in a positive way and talk to people about it being a win-win and a partnership and that you're not looking to offload any extra work on the town, then most people are very receptive to it. And I always also say that or suggest that people just try it. Right. And I think it's important too to to say reach out before there becomes some sort of an emergency. Right. Be proactive, introduce yourself to the community saying that you're looking for support, you're hoping to do this program. You may be just starting in one neighborhood, but you hope to expand over time. Get the introductions out there without having some sort of an emergency or an ask or a controversial issue on the table. And that really helps forge those relationships that will be helpful when an emergency does come up. It does. It does. And I think towns and, you know, small local government is very appreciative of that because they're all working full-time jobs and they want to do what's right for the area. And truth be told, the public and the community like animals. I mean, the people who have difficulty with animals or or don't like certain ordinances and that um, it's a very small percentage. So for the most part, people are good and they want to do good. In your, in your position, what are your greatest challenges? And then also what energizes you? What makes you feel the best during a day? The biggest challenges are not being able to go to and be with all of the different groups and organizations. I would really like to be able to connect with people on a face-to-face basis. The other challenges are, I guess, being able to get reach out and be able to pass on information further, more outreach. So for instance, here in Vermont, I'm on the board of directors with Vermont Can, and last year they started a mobile animal spay hospital program, sort of a test pilot, because a lot of people can't get to the physical location in Middlesex, Vermont. So they thought, well, let's take it to them. So we started hosting MASH units, as we're calling them, at the Humane Societies and advertised to the public. And the more we got out there, the more need we saw, and people started passing on that information. So now it went from last year being once every two months or so is once a month, absolutely, and sometimes even twice a month at the Humane Societies or up in a local firehouse. So it's being able to, I guess the challenge I find is how do you get that information out there to the really rural areas? We're making headway, but that's one of the things I'd like to be able to do more of. And I guess what gets me jazzed is seeing what I saw when my friend and I started that program in New Jersey, seeing that impact and going back to the colonies and seeing that they're healthy 
and that they're safe and that there's a caretaker supporting them and that they're just living out the life that they're meant to live. Most of the cats that enter animal shelters each year, about three quarters of them are killed. And most of those cats are free roaming, quote unquote, feral or stray. And those are the cats that we label as community cats. And, you know, some of them are adoptable, but most of them are not. And I guess what I'd like people to take away from that is when you see a community cat out there, a lot of times people have a preconceived notion of what they think might be best for that animal. And that would be to be in a home, but that's not necessarily true. So when I see that mindset starting to change, that gets me excited. And just seeing the seeing the numbers in the municipal shelters change like they did in Philadelphia and the intake numbers going down. I mean, when we start working one-on-one with the municipal shelters, the higher volume places that are getting these cats in on a day-to-day basis, you know, it's sort of like pick the low-hanging fruit. Let's Let's get the program in there immediately address it and bang, then you have a solution. The cats are back out. They're taken care of. They're healthy. They're safe. And they're not dying in the shelters. So that would lead me to my next question, which is if you saw a stray cat on the street, what would you do? (laughs) Um, I think that's a multifaceted answer. (laughs) I think that the context of where you see the cat really does matter. So, for instance, am I seeing a cat on the street in downtown Boston or am I seeing it um, on a farm in Connecticut? Um, I'd have a different approach to each one. But the first assessment is, you know, is the cat in danger? For instance, is it stuck on a median strip in a highway or or a high-risk situation? Secondly, and most importantly, I think I'd look for an ear tip. That is the absolute key to knowing whether or not that cat has been, you know, vaccinated and spayed and neutered. Um, Are they healthy? Are they injured? And if they are healthy in a safe environment with an ear tip, I'd leave them be. The outdoors is their home. And clearly, if they're healthy looking, somebody's taking care of them. If there's no ear tip and they're healthy, I would check with the local shelters, rescue groups, and that's where our network partners are a great resource as well. Check with them, find out if they have a return to field or TNR program going on in their community and if it covers that area. And if there is no local organization, knock on a few doors. But if somebody decides to pick up that cat, make sure you have a plan on where it goes. You have to get it spayed and neutered vaccinated. And if you don't have a home for it, put it back. Kittens are a little bit of a different story. Under four months old, I think everybody feels like they can usually always be placed, but catch the mom also. Yep. Spare, get her vaccinated and turn her back out. Yep. It's not for us to decide how these healthy cats live their lives. We're not quote unquote saving them by bringing them to a shelter. Actually, that's more often than not fatal for many of them. That's what I would do. Yep. It's, well, I mean, there is. There's a different checklist for different scenarios. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but the things we can agree on is making sure that that cat is spayed or neutered, ideally right. ear-tipped, 
and have some type of sort of identification of some sort. And then as long as the cat looks healthy, let the cat be part of the community. Right. If it's a safe environment, Mm -hmm. if there's any risk that really is a significant risk, then maybe that cat needs to be relocated. But make sure of that, that you do have a plan before you set it into action. So Linda, how can people find you if they want to learn more about the network or um, reach out to you directly? I live in Vermont, as you mentioned, and work remotely for Best Friends. So the easiest way to reach me is via my email address, which is lindag at bestfriends.org. And the network program, we talked a little bit about the benefits and opportunities. And I really just, for people who are listening, who are part of rescue groups, shelters, municipalities, 501c3s, join the network. I mean, it's, it's basically just that, a network. We don't ask for anything in return. It's free. All we ask for is data. So, and most people are recording data of some sort. Um, And that enables us to figure out where our programming should go, what direction it should go in, where different funding needs to go. So that's just gathering feedback. But it really is a great resource. And you can find that by going to network.bestfriends.org. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just to love the cats. I mean, really, (laughs) community cats, we socialized cats and dogs, and it's uh, our responsibility to take care of them. But the community cats really, they're that. The key word there is community. And if we keep an open mind to that, I think everybody can live harmoniously with them and they won't end up in a shelter which is what our best friend's mission is, is to end the killing of the healthy, adoptable pets in the nation's shelters. And this is one way we can do that. Linda, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope you'll be on the show in the future. Thank you very much, Stacey. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 